I mostly read public domain books here on Glenn Reads Books to You, and they were written a long time ago, so they're usually racist or sexist or bigoted. But in there somewhere is a story, and uh, that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist. But they might have uh, adult language or adult situations, like, uh, oh, I don't know, making sex. Uh, So that's your warning. But I'm sure you're grown up enough to handle it. Uh, Don't write to me complaining. Oh, you're back. Can't you... Make up an imaginary friend or something, instead of coming over here all the time. Well, in either case, welcome to the Glenn Reads Books to You Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion, and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we're going to continue to read uh, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, a book that a friend of mine, Backy Wop, asked that I read around two years ago, and you can find him over at versimilitudino.us, which I'll link to in the notes, because good luck trying to spell that. Uh, about the author? Sure, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, he was born September 24th, 1896, and he died December 21st, uh, 1940. Uh, he was an American novelist, essayist, and short story writer, and he's best known for his novels depicting the flamboyance and excess of the Jazz Age, a term that he popularized in his short story collection, Tales of the Jazz Age. Uh, also, the title of that, probably stolen from his wife. Go back and listen to episode two, where I talk about how everything he wrote he stole from his wife, and then called her crazy and wouldn't let her get divorced from him. During his lifetime, he published four novels, four story collections, and 164 short stories. Although he achieved temporary popular success and fortune in the 1920s, Fitzgerald received critical acclaim only after his death, and is now widely regarded as one of the greatest American writers of the 20th century who is known for stealing from his wife. Want to hear some fun facts? Sure. Uh, He was a poor student and an atrocious speller, because he didn't have a wife to cheat from back then. Fitzgerald read widely and demonstrated an early talent for writing, but he was a lousy student who struggled to achieve passing marks in both grade school and college. He had a penchant for cutting classes during his time at Princeton University and nearly failed out before abandoning his studies to join the military. Despite his legendary command of the written word, Fitzgerald was also a poor speller and may have suffered from dyslexia. After reading a typo-filled version of This Side of Paradise, something probably stole from his wife, literary critic Edmund Wilson, a classmate of Fitzgerald's during his Princeton days, declared it one of the most illiterate books any of any merit ever published, full of English words misused and the most reckless abandon, because his wife wasn't there to go comb through his work and improve it, make it better. Well, with that, uh, that's all you're getting for a fun fact. Why don't we uh, head down to the library where we can uh, begin reading this book? Chapter 4! On a Sunday morning, while church bells rang in the uh, village's longshore, the world and its mistress returned to Gatsby's house and twinkled hilariously on his lawn. Yeah, he's a bootlegger, said the young ladies, moving somewhere between his uh, cocktails and his flowers. One time he killed a man who had found out that he was a nephew to Von Hindenburg, a second cousin to the devil. <laughs> Reach me a rose, honey, and pour me a last drop uh, into that there crystal glass. Once 
I wrote down on the empty spaces of a timetable the names of those who had came to Gatsby's house that summer. Oh, this will be fun. And it's on an old timetable now, disintegrating, I said that, at its folds, and headed this schedule in effect July 5th, 1922. But I can still read the great names. It'll give you a better impression uh, than my generalities of those who accepted Gatsby's hospitality and paid him the subtle tribute of knowing uh, nothing whatever about him. From East Egg, then came the Chester Beckers and the Leeches and a man named Bunsen, whom I knew at Yale, and Dr. Webster Civet, who uh, was drowned last summer up in Maine, and the Hornbeams and Willie Voltaires, and a whole clan named Blackbuck, who always gathered in a corner and flipped up their noses like, uh, uh, like goats. That whoever came near, and the uh, Ismays and the Christies, or rather Herbert Auburk and Mr. Christie's wife, and Edgar Beaver, whose hair, they say, turned cotton white one winter afternoon for no good reason. All uh, Cla- They're going to keep doing Really? We're going to keep reading these names. Clarence Endive was from East Egg, as I remember, and he came only once in his white knickerbockers and had a fight with a bum named Eddie in the garden. Uh, from further out on the island came the Cheetles uh, and the the. O.R.P. with a bunch of space between that. Schraders. And the Stonewall Jackson Abrams of Georgia. Mm. And the Fish Guards. And the Ripley Snells. Uh, Snell was there three days before he went on to the penitentiary. So drunk uh, out on the gavel drive that Mrs. Ulysses Sweat's automobile ran right over his hand. And the uh, Dancies came to an S.B. Whitebait. Uh, who is well over 60, and Maurice A. Flink, uh, and, and the Hammerheads, and Beluga, the tobacco importer, and, and Beluga's girls. Yeah, from West Egg came, oh, Jesus Christ, the Poles and the Mulreddies and Cecil Roebuck and Cecil Shonen and Gluck from the state center from Newton or, to, or Child, who controlled films par excellence, and Eckhost and Clyde Cohen, Don Dar Schwartz and the, the Sun, and Arthur McKetty, all connected with the movies in one way or another, and the Cat Lips and the Bembergs and the G. Earl Molden brother, who that Muldoon who offered strangle, strangle his wife, and DeFanto, the promoter, came there, and Ed Legros and James B. Rotgut Ferret and D. Jongs and Ernest Lindley. Oh, they came to gamble, and when Ferret wandered into the garden, all he meant to clean it out and associate traction would have to fluctuate profitability that next day. A man named Clip Springer was there so often and so long that he became known as the Border. <sighs> I doubt if it had any other home or theatrical people. There were Gus Ways and Horace O'Donovan and Lester Mayer and Dor- George Duckweed and Francis Bull, also from New York, were the Chromes and the Bracky Heisons and the Denickers and the Russell Betty and the Corgans and the Kellers and the Dwars and the Scullies and S.W. Belcher and the Smirks and the Young Quins, divorced now, and Henry L. Palma, who killed himself by jumping in front of a subway train in Times Square. <sighs> Benny McLennan uh, arrived always with four girls, and they were never quite the same ones in physical person, but they were always so identical with one another that it verily mean that they had been there before, and I'd forgotten their names. Jacqueline, I think, or Ellis Consuela, or Gloria, or Judy, or June, and their last names were either the melodious names of flowers in the months of the sterner ones of the great American capitalists whose cousins at press would confess themselves to be. In addition to all these, I can remember that Faustino O'Brien came there at least once, and the Bedecker girls and the young brewer who had his nose shot off of the war, the Osbrecker and Mrs. Haig and the fiancé, and Arda Fritz Peters and Drew Mr. P. Jewett had once had the head of American Legion, and Mrs. Claudia Hip, the man who repeated her chauffeur, and the prince of something who we called Duke and his name if you ever knew it and forgotten. All these people came to Gatsby's house in the summer. At nine o'clock one morning late in July, Gatsby's gorgeous car lurched up the rocky drive to my door and came out in a burst of melody from its three-noted horn. What does that sound like? 
It was the first time he had called on me, though I had gone at two of his parties mounted on his hydroplane. And at his urgent invitation, made frequent use of his beach. Uh, uh, good morning, old sport. You having lunch with me today? And I thought we'd ride up together. Yeah, he's balancing himself on the dashboard of his car with that resourcefulness of movement that is so peculiar American. And that comes, I suppose, with the absence of lifting work or rigid sitting in his youth and even more with the formless grace of our nervous sporadic gift. This quality was continually breaking through his punctilious manner in the shape of restlessness. Ah, he's never quite still. There's always a tapping foot somewhere or an impatient opening or closing of a hand. Uh, he saw me uh, looking with admiration at his car. Ah, it's pretty, isn't it, old sport? He jumped off to give me a better view. You haven't seen it, ever seen it before? No, I'd seen it. Everybody had seen it. It was a rich cream color, bright with nickel, uh, swollen here and there in its monstrous length with triumphant hat boxes and supper boxes and toolbar and, and terraced the labyrinth of windshields that mirrored a dozen suns. Sitting down behind many layers of glass in a sort of green leather conservatory, oh, he, we started in a town. I had talked with him perhaps half a dozen times in the past month and found, uh, to my disappointment, that he had uh, little to say. So my first impression, uh, that he was a person of some undefined consequence, had gradually faded and become, uh, become simply the proprietor of an elaborate roadhouse next door. And then came the disconcerting ride. Uh, we hadn't reached West Egg Village before Gatsby began leaving his elegant sentences unfinished and slapping himself uh, indecisively on the knee of his caramel-colored suit. Hey, look here, old sport, he broke out surprisingly. What's your opinion of me anyhow? A little overwhelmed. Well, I began general evasions, uh, which that question deserves. Well, I'm going to tell you something about my life, he interrupted. Now, I don't want you to get a wrong idea of me, all these stories you hear. So he was aware of the bizarre accusations that flavored conversations in the hall. I'll tell you God's truth. This right hand suddenly ordered uh, divine retribution to stand by. I am the son of some wealthy people in the Middle West. All dead now. And I was brought up in America by educated at Oxford because all my ancestors have been educated there for many years. And it was a family tradition. He looked at me sideways, and I knew why Jordan Baker believed he was lying. He hurried the phrase, educated at Oxford, or swallowed it, or choked on it, as though it had been bothered him before. Oh, and with this doubt, oh, his whole statement fell to pieces, and I wondered if there wasn't something a little sinister about him, after all. Well, uh, what part of the Middle West? I inquired casually. San Francisco. I see. My family all died, and I came into a good deal of money. Oh, his voice was solemn, as if the memory of that sudden extinction of a clan still haunted him. Uh, for, for a moment, I suspected that he was pulling my leg, but a glance at, his, at him convinced me otherwise. After that, I lived like a, a young Raja uh, in the capitals of Europe, Paris, uh, Venice, uh, Rome, collecting jewels, yeah, chiefly rubies, hunting big game and painting a little, uh, things for myself only, and trying to forget something very sad that had happened to me long ago. With an effort, I managed to restrain my incredulous laughter. Ah, the very phrases were worn so threadbare that they evoked no image except for that of a turban character leaking sawdust at every pore as he pursued a tiger through the Bois du Le Bogun. I'm not going to try to figure out how to pronounce that. And with the, then came the war, old sport. It was a great relief, and I tried very hard to die. 
But I seem to bear an enchanted life. I accept a commission as first lieutenant when it began in the Argonne Forest, and I took two machine gun detachments so far forward that there was a half-mile gap on either side of us where the infantry couldn't advance. We stayed there ah, two days, two nights, and 130 men with 16 Lewis guns. And when the infantry came up uh, at last, they found the insignia of three German divisions among the piles of dead. Well, I was promoted to be a major, and every Allied government gave me a decoration. Even Montenegro, a uh, little Montenegro down in the Adriatic Sea. A little Montenegro? He lifted up the words and nodded at them with a smile. Uh, the smile comprehended Montenegro's troubled, uh, troubled history and sympathized with the brave struggles of the Montenegrin people. It appreciated fully the chain of national circumstances which had elicited this tribute from Montenegro's warm little heart. My incredulity was submerged in fascination now. It was like skimming hastily through a dozen magazines. Ah, he reached in his pocket, and a piece of metal slung on a ribbon fell into my palm. That's the one from Montenegro. Uh, to my astonishment, the thing had an authentic look. Ordery Didilano, not going to try to pronounce that, ran the circular legend, Montenegro Nicholas Rex. Turn it. Major J. Gatsby, I read, for valor extraordinary. Here's another thing I was carry, a souvenir of Oxford days. It was taken in Trinity Quad. The man on the left is now the Earl of Dorchester. It was a photograph of half a dozen young men in blazers, loafing in an archway through which there was a visible host of spires, which was Gatsby, uh, looking a little, not much, younger, with a cricket bat in his hand. And then it was all true. He just carries all these things in his pockets. I saw the skins of tigers flaming in his palace in the Grand Canal, and I saw him opening a chest of rubies to ease with their crimson-lighted depths the gnawings of his broken heart. I'm going to make the big request of you today, he said, pocketing his souvenirs with satisfaction. So I thought you ought to know something about me. I didn't want you to think I was just some nobody, you see. I usually find myself among strangers because I drift here and there trying to forget the sad thing that happened to me, he hesitated. You'll hear about it this afternoon. At, at lunch? No, this afternoon. I happen to find out that you're taking Miss Baker to tea. Do you mean you're in love with Miss Baker? No, old sport, I'm not. But Miss Baker has kindly consented to speak to you about this matter. I hadn't the faintest idea what, quote, this matter was, but I was more annoyed than interested. I hadn't asked Jordan to tea in order to discuss Mr. J. Gatsby. Uh, I was sure that the request would be something utterly fantastic, and for a moment, I was sorry I had ever set foot upon his overpopulated lawn. I wouldn't say another word. His correctness grew on him as we neared the city. He passed poor Roosevelt, uh, where there was a glimpse of red belt and ocean-going ships, and sped along a cobbled slums line to the dark, undeserted saloons in the faded gilt 1900s, and then uh, the Valley of Ashes opened out on both sides of us, and I had a glimpse of Mrs. Wilson straining at the garbage pump. A garage pump, not garbage, garage pump, with the painting of vitality as it went by. With fenders spread like wings, we scattered light through half Long Island City. Uh, only half, for as we twisted among the pillars of the elevated, I heard the familiar jug-jug spat of a motorcycle, and a frantic policeman rode alongside. I'll ride out, sport, called Gatsby. We slowed down, taking a white card from his wallet. He waved it before the man's eyes. Uh, right you are, agreed the policeman, tipping up his cap. Uh, know you next time, Mr. Gatsby. Excuse me, in all caps, exclamation point. Uh, what was that? I inquired. The picture of Oxford? 
I was able to do the commissioner a favor once, and he sends me a Christmas card every year. Over the great bridge with the sunlight, through the girders making a constant flicker upon the moving cars, with the city rising up across the river in white heaps and sugar lumps all built with a wish out of a non-all-factory money, the city seen from the Queensboro Bridge is always the city seen for the first time, and its first wild promise of all the mystery and beauty in the world. A dead man passed us in a hearse heaped with blooms, followed by two carriages with drawn blinds, and by more cheerful carriages uh, for friends. How the friends looked down at us with, uh, with the tragic eyes and short upper lips of uh, southeastern Europe, and I was glad at the sight of Gatsby's splendid car was included in their somber holiday. That's a weird thing to say. As we crossed Blackwell's Island, a limousine passed us, driven by a white chauffeur, <clears throat> in which sat three uh, modish... N words. Ugh, two bucks and a girl. Ugh. I laughed aloud at the yokes of their eyeballs roll. Oh, God, tortoise and haughty rivalry. Okay, fine. Anything can happen now that we've slid over this bridge, I thought. Anything at all. With four dots. Even Gatsby could happen without any particular wonder. Roaring noon in a swell, uh, fanned 42nd street cellar, I met Gatsby for lunch. Blinking away the brightness of the street outside, my eyes picked him out obscurely in the anteroom, talking to another man. Mr. Carraway, this is my friend, Mr. Wolfsheep. A small, flat-nosed Jew, Jesus Christ, raised his large head and regarded me with two fine growths of hair which luxuriated in either nostril. After a moment, I discovered his tiny eyes in the half-darkness. So I took one look at him, said Mr. Wolfsheen, shaking my hand earnestly. And what do you think I did? What? I inquired politely. And not, uh, but evidently, he was not addressing me, for he dropped my hand and covered Gatsby with his, ex with his expressive nose. I handed the money to Catspaw, and I said, Sid... All right, Catspaw, don't pay him a penny till he shuts his mouth, and he shut it then and there. Gatsby took an arm of each of us and moved toward uh, into the restaurant, whereupon Mr. Wolfsheim swallowed a new sentence he was starting and lapsed into a, a synonymous abstraction. Highballs? asked the head waiter. Now, this is a nice restaurant here, said Mr. Wolfsheim, looking at the Presbyterian nymphs on the ceiling, uh, but, I, but I like across the street better. Yes, highballs, agreed Gatsby. And then to Mr. Wolfsheim, uh, it's too hot over there. Hot and small? Yes, said Mr. Wolfsheim, but full of memories. Well, uh, what place is that? I asked. The old Metropole. The old Metropole, brooded Mr. Wolfsheim gloomily, filled with faces dead and gone, filled with friends gone now forever. I can't forget so long as I live in the night that they shot Rosie Rosenthal there, and there was six of us at a table, and Rosie had uh, ate and drunk a lot all evening. And then it was almost morning. Uh, the waiter came up to him with a funny look and says, uh, Somebody wants to speak to him outside. And all right, says Rosie, and begins to get up, and I, I pulled him down in his chair. Uh, Let the bastards come in here if they want you, Rosie but don't you so help me move outside this room. Oh, it's four o'clock in the morning then, and if we raised the blinds, we'd seen the light, uh, the daylight. Uh, uh, did, he, did he go? I asked innocently. Oh, sure he went, said Mr. Wolfshire's nose, nose flashed at me indignantly. Jesus Christ. He turned around in the door and says, don't let that waiter take away my coffee, and then he went out on the sidewalk, and they shot him three times in his full belly and uh, drove away. 
Well, on that note, I'm horny. Why don't we go up to the master bedroom where we can get naked, lay in my heart-shaped waterbed, and I can read to you the latest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. I'm coming. I'm coming. I've had a lot of White Claws. I've been drinking them again. Ah, you just wear normal clothes with a witch's hat. But underneath your witch's hat, it looks like you got some kind of cowboy hat. What the hell is that? Oh, you're showing me a book called What the Hex. It's better be sexy by Jessica Clare. Oh, it's a paperback for 17 bucks coming out April 4th in 2023. Uh, what about What the Hex? Well, sure, let's learn about it. Enemies to Lovers has never been more enchanting in this witchy romantic comedy from the New York Times best-selling author of Go Hex Yourself. Oh, apparently this author's on a roll. Penny Roundtree wants nothing more than to be a familiar to a witch. She's been a member of the Society of Familiars ever since she was old enough to join the fam. And there's just a small problem. No one's hiring witches. Eh, warlocks are so long-lived that there are far more familiars available than witches to train them. So when an orthodox arrangement... Is this person a cat? I don't get it. When an orthodox arrangement to apprentice under the table of a forbidden warlock presents itself, she takes it. William Sauer is banned from having a familiar due to... Is it just a slave? Due to his past transgressions, thereby limiting his magic-casting abilities. Unfortunately for the surly Prussian warlock, uh, he has no choice but to work with an enthusiastic penny as a familiar. Oh, they immediately clash like like dried roan horsehair and honeycomb gathered by moonlight. It's a terrible spell combination. Ask anyone. That's in parentheses. Boy, is that cute. Casting spells has delightful perks that Penny would never have dreamed of. But also great dangers. Eh? Someone is targeting Penny... Willem and Penny must work together to catch their enemy, and if their ploy requires a little kissing on side, <laughs> there's a question of the rules of magic. Oh, that was the uh, book What the Hex by Jessica Clare. Uh, 17 bucks coming out April 4th at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Bookshows, Powell's Target, and Walmart. I still don't get the cowboy hat under your hat. All right, let's go look at some of the other books that this author's written. Go Hex Yourself. Oh, Holly Jolly Cowboy, The Bachelor Cowboy, Her Christmas Cowboy, The Cowboy Meets His Match. Apparently this author has a history of cowboys she's trying to hide with her new take on uh, witches and slaves. Well, that's disturbing. I want you to take both those hats off, and I'm not horny, so I will not make love to you here in my master bedroom. Let's go back downstairs and finish the rest of this book. Now, there you are. Uh, you're still wearing the hats. I'm not reading the goddamn story until you go out and take off those hats. Go on, I'll wait. And there you are. Now you're wearing the cowboy hat. Take off the cowboy hat. Go, I'll wait. Well, now you come back wearing the witch's hat. I want all the hats off your goddamn head. Go, get out and do it again. And now you come in with both hats. Fine. Sit down. We're going to finish reading this story. Hat or no hat. Well, four of them were electrocuted. That's a great way to start this uh, second half. <clears throat> I said, remembering five with Becker. His nostrils turned to me. I'm so sick of this. In an interested way. I understand you're looking for a business negotiation. 
Ganoshganation, G-O-N-N-E-G-T-I-O-N. The juxtaposition of these two remarks was startling. Gatsby answered for me. Oh, no, he exclaimed. Yeah, this isn't the man. No, Mr. Wolfsheim seemed disappointed. Yeah, it's just a friend. I told you we'd talk about that some other time. I beg your pardon, said Mr. Wolfsheim. I had the wrong man. A succulent hash arrived. And Mr. Wolfsheim, forgetting the more sentimental atmosphere of the old metropole, began to eat with ferocious delicacy. His eyes, meanwhile, roved slowly all around the room. He uh, completed the arc by turning to introspect the people directly behind. I think that, except for my presence, he would have taken one short glance beneath our table. Oh, look here, old sport, said Gatsby, leaning toward me. I'm afraid I made you uh, a little angry this morning in the car. Nah, there was a smile again, but this time I held out against it. I don't like mysteries, I answered. I don't understand why you won't come out frankly and tell me what you want. Why has this all got to come through Miss Baker? Oh, it's nothing underhanded, he assured me. Miss Baker's a great sportswoman, you know, and uh, she'd never do anything that wasn't all right. Suddenly, he uh, looked at his watch, jumped up, and hurried from the room, leaving me with Mr. Wolfsheim at the table. Uh, He has to telephone, said Mr. Wolfsheim, following him with his eyes. Fine fellow, isn't he? Handsome to look at. Perfect gentleman. Uh, Yes. He's an Oxford man. Oh, he went to Oxford College in England. You know Oxford College? I heard of it. It's one of the most famous colleges in the world. Have you known Gatsby for a long time? I inquired. Several years, he answered in a gratified way. It made the pleasure of his acquaintance just after the war. Uh, but I knew I had discovered a man of fine breeding after I talked with him for an hour. And I, I, said, I, said, I said to myself, uh, There's the kind of man you like to take home and introduce to your mother and sister, period. Uh, apostrophe, period, and then quotes. He paused. I see you're looking at my cuff buttons. <laughs> I hadn't been looking at them, but I did now. They were composed of oddly familiar pieces of ivory. Finest specimens of human molars. What? He informed me. Gee, I hate what they're this thing with the Jewish person. I'm hating this entire chapter. Well, I inspected them, and it's a very interesting idea. Yeah, he's flipped up his sleeves under his coat. Yeah, Gatsby's very careful about women. Oh, he'd never look so much at a friend's wife. And when the subject of this instructive trust uh, returned to the table and sat down, Mr. Wolfshire drank his coffee uh, with a jerk and got to his feet. Now I've enjoyed my lunch, said, and now I'm going to go run off you two young men before I outstay my welcome. Now, don't hurry, Meyer, said Gatsby without enthusiasm. Mr. Wolfsheim raised his hand in a sort of benediction. When he says Meyer, it's clearly not a person's name. Let's see if there's a Meyer Wolfsham. Oh, okay, it's just his first name. I thought maybe it was going to be an anti-Semitic comment. Uh, Mr. Wolfsheim raised his hand in a sort of benediction. Ah, you're very polite, but I belong to another generation, he announced solemnly. You sit here and discuss your sports. Yeah, and, and your young ladies, and your... He supplied an imaginary noun with another wave of his hand, and as for me, I'm 50 years old, and I won't impose myself on you any longer. As he shook hands and turned away his 
tragic nose was trembling. God, I hate this. I wondered if I had said anything to offend him. What, because his cartoonishly nose is reacting to you? He becomes very sentimental sometimes, explained Gatsby. This is one of his sentimental days. He's quite a character around New York, a Denzian of Broadway. Uh, who is he anyhow, an actor? No. A dentist? Meyer Wolfsheim? No. He's a gambler. Gatsby hesitated. Then added coolly. Uh, he's, the, he's the man who fixed the World Series back in 1919. Fixed the World Series? I repeated. The idea staggered me. I remembered, of course, that the World Series had been fixed in 1919, but if I had thought of it at all, I would have thought that it was a thing that merely, in all caps, happened. The end of some inevitable chain. It never occurred to me that one man could start to play with the faith of 50 million people and with the single-mindedness of a burglar blowing a safe. How did he happen to do that? I asked after a minute. Yeah, he just saw the opportunity. Why isn't he in jail? They can't get him, old sport. He's a smart man. I insisted on paying the check, and as the waiter brought my change, I caught sight of Tom Buchanan across the crowded room. Uh, come along with me for a minute, I said. I've got to say hello to someone. And when he, when he saw us, Tom jumped up and took half a dozen steps in our direction. Where you been? He demanded eagerly. Daisy's furious because you haven't called up. This is Mr. Gatsby. Mr. Buchanan, and they shook hands briefly, and an unstained, unfamiliar look of embarrassment came over Gatsby's face. How have you been anyhow? demanded Tom of me. How did you happen to come this far east? Well, I've been having lunch with Mr. Gatsby. And I turned towards Mr. Gatsby, but, he, uh, but he's uh, no, uh, no longer there. One October day in 1917, said Jordan Baker that afternoon, sitting up straight on a straight chair in the tea garden at the Plaza Hotel, I was walking along from one place to another, half on the sidewalks and half on the lawns. I was happier on the lawns because I had on shoes from England eh, with, with rubber knobs on the soles that bit into the soft ground. I had a new plaid skirt. Also, that <laughs> blew a little in the wind. <laughs> and whenever this happened, the red, white, blue banners in front of all the houses stretched out and stiff and said, and said tut, 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 in a disapproving way. <laughs> I get it, she's nasty. The largest of the banners and the largest of the lawns belonged to Daisy Faye's house, and she was just 18, who had two years older than me, and by and far the most popular of all the young girls in Louisville. Oh, she dressed in white and had a little uh, white roadster, and all day long the telephone rang in her house, and excited young officers from Camp Taylor demanded the privilege of monopolizing her that night. Anyways, for an hour, in quotes. When I came opposite her house that morning, her white roadster was beside the curb, and she was sitting in it with a lieutenant I had never seen before. Oh, and they were so engrossed in each other that she, uh, that she didn't see me until I was five feet away. Hello, Jordan. Uh, she called unexpectedly. Uh, please come here. I was flattered that she wanted to speak to me because of all the older girls I admired her most. She asked me if I was going to the Red Cross to make bandages. I was. Well, then, uh, would I tell them that she couldn't come that day? The officer looked at Daisy while she was speaking, in a way that every young girl wants to be looked at at some time, and because it seems so romantic to me that I have, uh... Remember the incident ever since. His name was Jay Gatsby, and I hadn't laid eyes on him again for over four years. Even after I'd met him on a long island, I didn't realize it was the same man. 
That was 1917. By next year, I had a few bewed myself, and I began to play in tournaments. So I didn't see Daisy very often, as she went with a slightly older crowd. Uh, when she went on with anyone at all, wild rumors were circulating about her. How her mother had found her packing her bag one winter night to go to New York and say goodbye to a soldier who was going overseas. Oh, she was eventually prevented, but she wasn't on speaking terms with her family for several weeks. After that, she didn't play around with soldiers anymore, but only with a, a few flat-footed, eh, short-sighted young men in town who couldn't get into the uh, army at all. By the next autumn, ah, she was gay again. Gay as ever! And she had a debut uh, after the armistice. In the February, she was presumably engaged to a man from New Orleans. In June, she married Tom Buchanan of Chicago with more pomp and circumstance than Louisville ever knew before. Oh, he came down with a hundred people in four, four private cars and hired a whole floor of the Sealbach Hotel. And, uh, and the day before the wedding, he gave her a string of pearls Valued at $350,000. My lips made a little fart sound when I started to say the three. I was, a, I was a bridesmaid. I came into her room half an hour before the bridal dinner, and I found her laying on her bed as lovely as the June night in her flowered dress. Oh, and as drunk as a monkey. Uh, she had a bottle of Santorini on one hand and a letter in the other. Uh, Gradulate me, she muttered. Never had a drink before, but oh, how I do enjoy it. Uh, what's the matter, Daisy? I was scared, I could tell you. I'd never seen a girl like that before. Here, dears, she groped around the wastebasket and had with her in bed, and she pulled out the string of pearls. Take them downstairs and give them back to whoever they belong to. Tell them all Daisy's changed her... Uh, tell them all Daisy's changed... All right, whatever. Her mind. Say, Daisy's changed her mind. She began to cry. And cried and cried, and I rushed out and found her mother's maid, and we uh, locked the door and got her in a cold bath. She wouldn't let go of the letter. She took it in the tub with her and squeezed it up into a big wet ball. It only let me leave it in the soap dish when she saw that it was coming to pieces like snow. But she didn't say another word. We gave her spirits of ammonia and put ice on her for it. Does all these things work to get someone to stop being drunk? I can't imagine it would. Oh, my wife's a nurse. Hey, if you're wasted and I give you ammonia and put you in a cold bath with ice on your forehead, does any of this make you stop being drunk? Okay, so when you're drunk, you're drunk, and all they're doing here is just wasting everyone's time. time. They're probably going to give her some kind of cold or something from being so frozen <laughs> for hours in a cold thing. Drinking right. cleaning supplies. Drinking cleaning supplies. <clears throat> Uh, and when we walked out of the room, the pearls were around her neck, and the, and the incident was over. Next day at 5 o'clock, she married Tom Buchanan without so much as a shiver. Started off on a three-month trip to the South Seas. I saw them in Santa Barbara when they came back, and I thought I had never seen a girl so mad about her husband. If, uh, if he left the room for a minute, oh, she'd look around uneasily and say, hey, uh, Where's Tom gone? And wear the most abstracted expression until she saw him coming to the door. Oh, she used to sit on the sand uh, with his head in her lap by the hour, rubbing her fingers over his eyes. What? And looking at him with unfathomable delight. Oh, it was touching to see them together, and it made you laugh in a flushed, fascinated way. Oh, yeah, that was in August. 
A week after I left Santa Barbara, Tom ran into a wagon on the Ventura Road one night and ripped a front wheel off his car. The girl who was with him, ooh, got into the papers too because her arm was broken. Oh, she's one of the chambermaids, the disgusting chambermaids. They handle shit in the Santa Barbara Hotel. The next April, Daisy uh, had her little girl, and they went to France for a year, and I saw uh, one spring in Cannes and later in Deauville, Duelville, it's French. And then they came back to Chicago to settle down. Daisy was popular in Chicago. As you know, they moved the fast crowd and all them young and rich and wild. But uh, she, she came out with an, an absolutely perfect reputation, because uh, perhaps because she doesn't drink. It's a great advantage not to drink among hard-drinking people. Oh, you can hold your tongue. And moreover, uh, you can time any little irregularity of your own so that everybody else is so blind that they don't see or care. Perhaps uh, Daisy never went in for armor at all. But uh, there's something in that voice of hers. Well, about six weeks ago, she heard the name Gatsby for the first time in years. And it was when I asked... Uh, do you remember if you knew Gatsby at West Egg? After you'd gone home and came into my room and woke me up and said, What Gatsby? And then I described him. I was half asleep. And she, and she said in the strangest voice that it must have been the man she used to know. And it wasn't until that I connected this Gatsby eh, with the officer in the white car. When Jordan Baker had finished telling all this, we had left the plaza for a half an hour. We're driving in a Victoria through Central Park. The sun had gone down eh, behind the tall apartments of the movie stars of the West 50s. And the clear voices of girls already gathered like crickets on the grass. Rose through the hot twilight... I'm the Sheik of Araby. Uh, your love belongs to me. At night when you're asleep, uh, into your tent, I'll creep. Eh, it's a strange coincidence, I said, but it wasn't a coincidence at all. Why not? Gatsby brought that, uh, bought that house so that Daisy would just be across the bay. Then it had not been merely the stars to which one had aspired to that June night. He came alive to me, delivered suddenly from the womb of his purposeless splendor, he wants to know, continued Jordan, if you'll invite Daisy to your house some afternoon and then let him come over. The modesty of the damned shook me. Damned? Demand? Whatever. You're not listening when I read. He said uh, he had waited five years and bought a mansion where he dispensed starlight to casual moths so that he could come over to some afternoon to a stranger's garden. Did I have to know all this before he could ask such a little thing? He's afraid he's waited too long. He thought you might be offended. You see, uh, he's a regular tough underneath it all. Something worried me. Why, uh, why didn't he ask you to arrange a meeting? Oh, he wants, to, he wants you to see his house, he explained. And your house is right next door. Oh, I think he half expected her to wander into one of his parties some night, went on Jordan. But she never did. Uh, then he began asking people casually if they knew her. And I was, uh, I was the first one he found. And it was that night he sent for me at his dance. And you should have heard the elaborate way he worked up to it. Oh, of course, I immediately suggested a luncheon in New York, and, and I thought he'd go mad. I don't want to do anything out of the way, he kept saying. I want to see her right next door, pervert. When I said you were a particular friend of Tom's, he started to abandon the whole idea. He doesn't know very much about Tom, though. He says he's read a Chicago paper for years on the chance of catching a glimpse of Daisy's name. It was dark now, and as we dipped under the little bridge, I put my arm around Jordan's golden shoulder and drew her toward me and asked her to dinner. Suddenly, I wasn't thinking of Daisy and Gatsby anymore, but of this clean, hard, limited person 
who dealt in universal skepticism and who leaned back jauntily just within the circle of my arm. Oh, a phrase began to beat my ears with a, with a sort of heady excitement. Ah, there are only, there are only the pursued, the pursuing, the busy, and the tired. And Daisy ought to have something in her life, murmured Jordan to me. Does she want to see Gatsby? She's not to know about it. Gatsby doesn't want her to know. You're just supposed to invite her to tea. We passed a barrier of dark trees, and then the facade of 59th Street and a block of delicate pale light beamed down into the park. Unlike Gatsby and Tom Buchanan, I had no girl whose disembodied face floated along the dark cortices and blinding signs. And so I, I drew up the girl beside me, tightening my arms. Her wan, scornful mouth eh, smiled, and so I drew her up again closer, this time to my face. Well, that's disturbing. With that, why don't we uh, retire down to the smoking room to review what the hell we just read? Well, there you are, still wearing both the goddamn hats. I don't know why you try to make sex with me and then insult me directly afterwards. Why don't we recap uh, what the hell we just read? First, birds. I forgot about the birds. There's a lot of bragging about the parties and all the people who attend them, so that was annoying. It was tough to read. Went on forever. Uh, Gatsby winds up taking Nick out for lunch and brags about his life, how he's born to a wealthy family in San Francisco, how he's educated at Oxford, eh? the beneficiary of their money when, the, when most of the family died. He's a wealthy traveler who collected rubies, like he's Elon Musk, a survivor of World War I, during which he says that he uh, tried to die several times. And just when Nick is starting to think he's full of shit, Gatsby holds on to these things in his pocket. He's got a picture from Oxford and uh, like medals from the war. He just carries it around. And while at lunch, uh, they run into Mr. Wolfsheim, a friend of Gatsby's, who is clearly made out to be that they do shady dealings. And Gatsby has another call and has to leave for a minute, and Wolfsheim says that Gatsby's a, a good Oxford man. And then when Gatsby comes back, uh, Wolfie takes off. And then Gatsby says that Wolfie's a good man, except that he's, you know, obviously corrupt by fixing the World Series, but he also might have been, uh, they just couldn't catch him. So, I guess that makes him a good man. Uh, Tom Buchanan shows up, and Gatsby gets all weird and leaves, and then Jordan uh, tells uh, Nick her history with Daisy, apparently from her point of view. So, the the, the narrator of the story just changes. Probably because his wife wasn't there to tell him that's not how you write stories. So she wasn't around at the time. He probably put her in an asylum at that point. And then he's just like, I can write on my own. And it just starts to suck. Uh, their childhood friends, early days of war. Daisy spent time with some uh, with this, with some guy named Gatsby. Uh, she didn't know Gatsby was living next door to Nick until Nick mentioned it the first time she came over. And Daisy's parents prevented her from saying goodbye to Gatsby when he shipped off. So then she went ahead and just met Tom and got engaged to him right away off the bat. And the night of the bridal dinner, apparently Gatsby heard about this and wrote her a letter. So she read it, got all drunk, and then Daisy got married anyway. They went on their honeymoon where Tom got a car accident with the chambermaid from the hotel they were staying in so that's pretty cool on your honeymoon and then uh, Daisy uh, had a baby shortly after and lived in Europe for a year then came back to America where she realized Gatsby, Gatsby lives nearby Jordan thinks he bought the house uh, on purpose Nick says burp coincidence and then you know who cares uh, but it does make sense that Gatsby's standing out there staring across the uh, the waters uh, toward their green blinking light uh, 
And then he thinks Jordan's hot, and so he uh, kisses her. Or does she let him kiss her because Gatsby's already convinced her to try to help set this up? Maybe there's a financial benefit. I don't know if Jordan even likes this guy because he's a nerd. What's good? Um, I don't know. The story's moving along. That's nice. Uh, what sucks? All the anti-Semitic stuff, uh, the constant talking about the Wolfshine's nose and his beady eyes and his general, like, gluttony when he eats and just everything unattractive about a person you could possibly make. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what do you expect? Every book I read, the author is a horrible person and normally they write racist shit. It just keeps happening over and over again. Didn't they say that they saw a bunch of black people and called the guys bucks? That happened in the story, too, so that's horrible. Uh, what do we learn? Nick wants us to really know how great Gatsby's parties are. Uh, though there's some uh, juxtapositions between the party and the ash pit uh, to show uh, sort of like the, the destruction and death that's kind of always nearby. Or maybe to show the moral and spiritual destruction of all these shallow people. Uh, but uh, they're all morally dead. Gatsby tells stories to try and gain Nick's trust and manipulate him. And his comments about wanting to die during the war is uh, could be potentially uh, possibly a lie, but also it's just part of him uh, trying to manipulate him, but also kind of reflects on his constant need of trying to find and win back Daisy. Uh, Wolfsheim is a big deal. He foreshadows an obvious unsavory relationship with Gatsby and his secrets going on. And he also uh, shows how Nick experiences dishonesty and lack of morals while being in New York City. It also just shows us anti-Semitism. And there's some vague, uh, whatever, Gatsby's mentioning how Jordan would never do anything wrong. That was kind of thrown out there. I think it's because he's going all in with Jordan. Probably paid her. I don't know this part about the story. I could be making this up. But I got a feeling he probably paid her to make this whole thing happen with Daisy. Uh, but you know, he's saying that about a person that's obviously a golf cheater. She cheated in a tournament. Everyone knows it. But he's double downing on her. And also maybe he just doesn't know who a good person is because he's not a good person himself. Uh, Nick's embracing of Jordan against his own moral standards, can symbolize his embracing of Gatsby with all the veiled negative qualities that he just chooses not to see. Uh, so, there's that. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed uh, going to Europe, got to go to Germany, uh, and then I got to go to Paris, and then, uh, and then a long plane ride home where I'm still having a hard time sleeping, and the, the diarrhea is excessive. Uh, I think I probably swallowed some of the lake water in Paris, which is a big mistake. You should never drink local water, especially if it's lake water that I think they stand and they pee in. And I drank a little bit of it because I was thirsty. Oh, thank God. Uh, this ending segment, I don't really know what to say, so I start lying. And uh, thank God for the, uh, the grandfather clock telling me to shut up and uh, end the show. So with that, thanks for listening, and uh, I will see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. 
which uh, basically just points you to Mastodon. Why did I go all in with Mastodon? I have no idea. But if you go there, it'll uh, point you to my link tree where you can listen to episodes. Which is confusing uh, and meticulous. Uh, but if you want to go to just my link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Nuzzle House, it'll uh, point you to all the rest of my shows. Like uh, Glenn Reads Books to You, which you're listening to right now. Uh, just Stating the Curious Mind, where my wife and I uh, write uh, paranormal smut and then publish it on Amazon. And also Nuzzle House's CBS Radio Mystery Theater, where we basically create our own episodes of Radio Mystery Theater, a show from the 70s, uh, because they don't make them anymore. Damn it, we want to hear something new. Oh, I'm also on Instagram, uh, something that I try to use but dislike, which is uh, Instagram.com slash House Nuzzle. And uh, the lesser now, thanks to uh, Elon Musk, uh, Twitter. Used to be my home, and now I can't stand it, which is uh, Twitter.com slash House Nuzzle. And since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a nerdling or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. <laughs> <laughs>